You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Iranian APT data extraction tool described. Lockbit gang comes under DDoS. Twitter whistleblower security claims made public. Poland and Ukraine conclude cybersecurity agreement. Greek national natural gas supplier under criminal cyber attack. Update to the joint alert on Zimbra exploitation. Addition to CISA's known exploited vulnerabilities catalog. Johannes Ulrich from SANS on control plane versus data plane vulnerabilities. Our guest is David Nasibor, platform solutions lead for UL, to discuss safe cyber phase two. And targeting and trolling with an excursus on speedos. Really? From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Trey Hester filling in for Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, August 23rd, 2022. Google's Threat Analysis Group this morning published the results of its investigation into Charming Kitten. The Iranian government-sponsored threat group has been observed using a new extraction tool the researchers call Hyperscape. It's used to extract user data from Gmail, Yahoo, and Microsoft Outlook accounts. Google explains, quote, The attacker runs Hyperscape on their own machine to download victims' inboxes using previously acquired credentials. We've seen it deployed against fewer than two dozen accounts located in Iran. The oldest known sample is from 2020, and the tool is still under active development. We have taken actions to resecure these accounts and have notified the victims through our government-backed attacker warnings, end quote. The tool depends on having the victim's credentials. Hyperscape requires the victim's account credentials to run using a valid, authenticated user session the attacker has hijacked or credentials the attacker has already acquired. It spoofs the user agent to look like an outdated browser, which enables the basic HTML view in Gmail. Once logged in, the tool changes the account's language settings to English and iterates through the contents of the mailbox, individually downloading emails as .eml files and marking them as unread. After the program has finished downloading the inbox, it reverts the language back to its original setting and deletes any security emails from Google. Earlier versions contain the option to request the data from Google Takeout, a feature which allows users to export their data to a downloadable archive file. End quote. The report includes, as is customary, a set of indicators that Hyperscape users can check as they defend their systems. Researchers at Cisco Talos tweeted over the weekend that the blog operated by the Lockbit gang had come under a heavy distributed denial-of-service attack. Researcher Azim Shukui stated, quote, Someone is DDoSing the Lockbit blog hard right now. I asked Lockbit's sub about it, 
and they claim they are getting 400 requests a second from over 1,000 servers. As of this writing, the attack appears to be active. Lockbit promised more resources and to drain the DDoSers money, end quote, and added in the thread that the ALF V gang seemed to be undergoing a similar attack. According to the register, Lockbit, a Russian criminal operation, said that it came under an attack because it had, in its own turn, hit the large U.S. authentication firm Intrust with ransomware earlier this summer, bleeping computer reports that Lockbit is blaming Intrust for the DDoS attack. Quote, DDoS attack began immediately after the publication of data and negotiations. Of course it was them. Who else needs it? In addition, in the logs, there is an inscription demanding the removal of their data. End quote. Lockbit Sup, the public face of the gang, told Bleeping Computer. But it's unclear who's behind the DDoS attack. Interest hadn't yet responded to Bleeping Computer at the time they published. And it's entirely possible a rival gang, for example, could be behind the attack. Peter Mudge Zatko, a well-known white hat hacker who served for a time as Twitter's chief of security before being dismissed in January by Twitter's CEO, had filed a whistleblower report against his former employer, The Washington Post reports. The complaint, which Zatko filed with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, the Department of Justice, and the Federal Trade Commission, alleges, according to the Post, quote, that Twitter violated the term of an 11-year-old settlement with the Federal Trade Commission by falsely claiming that it had a solid security plan. Zotko's complaint alleges he had warned colleagues that half of the company's servers were running out-of-date and vulnerable software and that executives withheld dire facts about the number of breaches and lack of protection for user data, instead presenting directors with rosy charts measuring unimportant changes, end quote. For its part, Twitter says it investigated Zotko's claim at the time he made them and found them without merit. The governments of Poland and Ukraine have concluded a memorandum of understanding concerning cybersecurity, formalizing cooperation in the fifth domain. Ukraine's SSSCIP describes the purpose of the agreement as organization of joint efforts for, quote, repelling the enemy in cyberspace, end quote. The statement adds, quote, the memorandum aims to strengthen the joint fight against crimes in the digital space, as well as to share experience and detailed information about cyber incidents faster and more effectively. End quote. The Greek natural gas provider, DEFSA, disclosed over the weekend that it had been the victim of a ransomware attack. Quote, DESFA suffered a cyber attack on part of its IT infrastructure by cyber criminals that have tried to gain illegal access to electronic data with a confirmed impact of the availability of some systems and possible leakage of a number of directories and files. End quote. Bleeping Computer connects the incident with Ragnar Locker, a pioneer of double extortion attacks that both steal and encrypt data. Ragnar Locker, which claimed responsibility and leaked proof of compromise data Friday, is a gang long believed to be based in Russia. An attack on a European natural gas distributor during Russia's war against Ukraine is consistent with privateering aligned with Moscow's interests. The record reports that DEFSA has quite properly refused to negotiate with its attackers. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, also known as CISA, and the Multi-State Information Sharing and Analysis Center, yesterday updated alert AA22-228A, threat actors exploiting multiple CVEs against Zimbra's collaboration suite to include two new detection signatures. Exploitation of Zimbra remains a threat, so the alert is worth a look. CISA especially urges organizations that may not have checked their systems for vulnerability to look for evidence of five vulnerabilities, Patches are available for all of them. 
CISA has also added CVE-2022-0028, a vulnerability in Palo Alto Network's PAN-OS, to its catalog of known exploited vulnerabilities. It's a, quote, reflected amplification denial of service vulnerability, end quote. Filtering policy misconfiguration could permit, quote, a network-based attacker to conduct reflected and amplified TCP denial of service attacks, end quote. U.S. federal civilian executive branch agencies overseen by CISA have until September 12th to apply Palo Alto's update. And finally, in an update on the menace to operation security presented by selfies and social media, Ukraine's defense ministry has credited holiday photos taken by Russian tourists in occupied Crimea with providing valuable targeting information. The ministry tweeted, quote, Maybe we're being too hard on Russian tourists. Sometimes they can be really helpful. Like this man taking a picture of Russian air defense positions near Yevpatoria in occupied Crimea. Thank you and keep up the good work, end quote. The picture shows a middle-aged guy in Speedos posing, evidently deliberately, in front of a Russian missile launcher. The Telegraph explains that such open sources are delivering targets to Ukrainian forces. Ukraine's defense minister is, we think, obviously trolling its Russian opposition. Overhead imagery provides much more timely and accurate target indicators than does any selfie by Ivan Spidotovich. That said, tourist, soldier, and bystander photos posted to social media have been an OPSEC headache for Russian forces since the invasion began and have probably contributed more to an understanding of the Russian order of battle than to direct targeting. But still, if you must take a selfie while enjoying the sun and the fun, it's better if there's a Samtel in the background. Keep snapping, bros. If order of battle and pics of combat vehicles are your hobby, well, we hear that everyone needs one. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program. Quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. 
Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. In 1894, William Henry Merrill Jr. founded the Underwriters Electrical Bureau, later known as the Electrical Bureau of the National Board of Fire Underwriters. For most of the organization's life, they were known by the name UL, Underwriters Laboratories, and their certification was the standard for safety in electrical products. These days, UL has updated their name and their brand to UL Solutions, expanded their mission to applied safety science, including cybersecurity. David Nosabar is product lead for UL's Safe Cyber platform. We have, first of all, an increasing volume and sophistication of security attacks. And as part of these attacks, we see that connected devices are being one of the main attack vectors with obviously supply chain components uh, being part of that and and representing a huge problem for their lack of security. So we can uh, go go along and ultimately talk about uh, the targeted attacks targeting uh, uh, critical infrastructures, industrial and automotive players, as well as their suppliers, uh, we see that about a quarter of organizations, 25% have experienced a supply chain attack in the past year. And ultimately, this is a testament to the fact that hackers are finding more and more ways to exploit um, those attack vectors and ultimately cause uh, great harm to businesses and even individuals. And now, the second thing we need to talk about is why this is happening. And, and one of the key reasons is uh, the lack of expertise, security expertise in most companies uh, to prevent and fix uh, these uh, uh, issues related to, to, to security. And the uh, thing is, this is due to security having been relegated at the back of the queue over speed to market when we look at connected device manufacturers that were looking at gaining market share and, and favoring innovation. And security had been considered as a costly element and ultimately hampering that speed to market. Well, that momentum, like I said, is shifting because of uh, the great harm that's been happening with uh, the attacks that we've been witnessing. And uh, the third element to look at is governments and industry bodies waking up to this and seeing the damage that it's causing and uh, finally starting to push regulations and policies uh, to address device security. And um, the solar winds attack was pretty much a, a great wake-up call in that regard, right, uh, in 2020. And uh, with those three elements uh, that we've uh, quickly recapped, uh, it's all about how we can democratize product security for every connected device stakeholders so that they can essentially play ball and implement the right security measures to, to essentially mitigate those threats and risks they have to strike the right balance uh, with speed to market and security along with compliance, since we have uh, uh, regulations being enforced, uh, such as, uh, if we can mention the, the, the executive order 
um, uh, from from uh, uh, the, uh, the U.S. government and President Biden in May 2021, ultimately imposing device manufacturers and suppliers to come up with uh, a software bill of materials and encouraging supply chain transparency. How can those connected device stakeholders make sure they are having the right information while also having the means to implement what's needed? This is where Safe Cyber comes into play. Safe Cyber is a security and compliance posture management platform uh, for product security and development teams um, that are working at those device manufacturers, OEMs, suppliers, and system integrators. Safe Cyber is essentially hosting a suite of digitally enabled solutions, applications per se. This is representing the gateway to UL's product security expertise and uh, aiming at democratizing connected device security. So we have for now two solutions on the platform that are Maturity Path and Binary Check. Maturity Path is more focused on the product security processes and governance side of things, helping organizations organize, um, assess that, helping organizations assess that, while Binary Check is more on the product security testing side of things um, and available on a, in a self-service capacity for these organizations. Well, help me understand, you know, I, I think uh, like a lot of folks, I, I certainly um, uh, have a long history with UL and, uh, you know, growing up and seeing the, the UL logo on consumer products and so on. Is this part of the uh, the for-profit side of UL? So, so, so that's correct. So let me um, provide a bit more uh, background as to uh, why UL Solutions is tackling security in addition to safety. Um, mm. And there, there's, there's actually a simple reason for that, because today there's no safety without security. And this is uh, uh, pretty much put in full display when we look at, um, for example, a connected car today uh, with a lot of uh, software components and essentially having computer on the wheels, so to speak, if we are finding uh, sec- security risks at the car level, this could actually impact the safety of its passengers, right? So at the end of the day, for you will, it's quite a natural element to, to, to tackle uh, to ensure the overall safety of citizens and, and people at large, right? And, and make the world a safer place. And ultimately, UL Solutions has been having a uh, an extensive uh, expertise in uh, in cybersecurity and device security, with a global network of uh, IoT and OT security labs um, across the world, along with a roster of security experts and advisors uh, that are specialized in uh, uh, securing several ecosystems. Right, uh, uh, not only uh, talking about. ICS and uh, and industrial manufacturers, but also automotive, healthcare, the connected home and consumer electronics at large, as well as smart buildings and and payments. That's David Nosabor from UL Solutions. Joining me once again is Johannes Ulrich. He is the Dean of Research at the Sands Technology Institute and also the host of the ISC Stormcast podcast. Johannes, always great to welcome you back. Yeah, thanks for having me again. 
So, uh, interesting uh, topic that uh, you have been uh, looking into here, looking at some vulnerabilities and sort of contrasting between control planes and data planes. What's going on here? Yeah, it's actually a distinction that a reader of our uh, diaries reminded me of. And if you're looking at your network security devices, uh, routers and such, you should distinguish between control plane and uh, data plane. Data plane is sort of what you basically consider what goes through the device. So uh, your packets uh, that are being passed along. Control plane is usually where you find the security vulnerabilities. That's like your web-based admin interface. And if you ever listen to me, I get sick of saying it, well, block access to that admin interface. That's sort of one of the uh, common issues here. But lately we have seen some interesting issues with the data plane, which is much more difficult uh, to control because hmm. that's, after all, sort of considered a little bit transparent. And historically, I think uh, people haven't really paid much attention there because the data plane is conceptually pretty simple. You get the packet, you look at some headers, and you pass it on, or you block it. Uh, but it turns out that, well, it has many things. Uh, once you look deeper into it, it's not quite as simple. And for example, there are these application layer gateways. What they are doing is uh, they're doing very complex operations on packets on the application layer. Hmm. Let's dig into that. Help me understand what's going on here. Yeah, so let's look at a recent example here. And this was sort of this real tech vulnerability that affected their SIP, so their voice over IP application layer gateway. These gateways, they do have to do NAT. They do have to rewrite IP addresses. For 99% of the packet, that's only affecting the headers. Your IP header and then checksums and such in UDP and TCP. But for protocols like SIP, you find that the IP address is also embedded in the payload. Now the device, your router, has to rewrite that payload, not just the headers. And that's where it gets complicated uh, because those payloads are not really meant to be rewritten. They're fairly uh, intriguing kind of uh, protocols that are being used here. And that's essentially very messed up. Plus the other problem you have with the data plane is that speed matters. Hmm. For the control plane, uh, when you're connecting to the web server, you may have noticed a lot of these small routers, the web service is a little bit sluggish, kind of, when you connect to it. And that's usually okay, because you have like one user connecting to it, and you only need to connect to it once a month. Hopefully you connect to it once a month to check if the firmware needs updating, but that's about it. Uh, on the data plane, uh, with gigabit uh, connections that people have now in their homes, speed matters. So developers are a little bit enticed to take some shortcuts here to keep things simple, uh, not necessarily check all the little details. And that's exactly sort of what happened here with Realtek, where, well, if Realtek routers, these particular routers, uh, use or look at SIP traffic, you have a very straightforward and easy to exploit a buffer overflow just by them looking at it. So you don't even have to use this protocol. It's just the router receives a packet that is SIP. It sends it to this application layer gateway. Hey, does this need rewriting? Oh, there's a buffer overflow here. Let me execute the attacker's code. So uh, what's to be done here? I mean, what are your recommendations? Well, uh, that's the hard part. Uh, so <laughs> definitely, you know, uh, keep those firmwares updated. But like in a real tech uh, case, you may not have an update. Uh, it's uh, with uh, routers sort of running end of life and such. Uh, you may not find an update uh, for this particular vulnerability. The standard advice always, well, you know, 
add a device before your router, kind of add a firewall in front of firewall to protect the firewall. Um, well, you can see how we can sort of play that game. And it's of firewalls course all the way down, right? <laughs> yeah, and that's not really realistic kind of for a home user necessarily. Uh, disable features as much as possible is certainly something that you can consider. Uh, hmm. Like keep it simple. Uh, and no, lastly, in particular, if this is like, uh, let's say, a cable DSL modem that uh, your uh, ISP provided, you may not even have sort of a lot of insight in the configuration. Just treat it as hostile. And then again, you know, sort of firewall after firewall. Now you have your firewall behind the ISP's firewall uh, to basically ignore what happens there. Yes, they can still cut you off. They can still do it in all of service. But at least you don't have that implant in your network that's controlled by an attacker. Hmm. All right. Well, good information. Johannes Ulrich, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Datatribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technology. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Brandon Karpf, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Liz Irvin, Rachel Gelfand, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Trey Hester, filling in for Dave Bittman. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.